Hey everybody and welcome to another episode with Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie and with me as always is... Hey guys, what's going on? It is Jason. And we're back after our week sabbatical. Um, Jason and I did not um, brave a hurricane. We were actually planning on going to Destin in Florida. <laughs> no, no, don't. We were going to have some real street cred. We were going to be tough. We were going to be those podcasters who outran and outlived a hurricane. I mean, we could just say that. I mean, there's plenty of like tornadoes in the Midwest, too. So, you know. That's true. Yeah. A tornado just touched down when we got back from vacation oh right gosh. outside of our house. Stop. <laughs> so instead of spending time in Florida, we end up spending time through the grace of God and uh, Norris Lake in Tennessee. So that was it was fun and relaxing and our kids liked it. And we did get to play some games, which I'm sure you'll hear about. And some of you members of the Riveted saw um, we were gone. So sorry that we missed a week, but you guys had time to catch up on all of you know our pretty OK episodes that we've been putting out. I mean, we did have an extra person on. The week before we took a sabbatical, so that could kind of make up for it, right? Right, it was the deluxe episode. Yeah, yeah, super mega jumbo. Super mega jumbo. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, that's all I got. I don't have any other banter. It's been, it's only, when we're recording this Wednesday, it feels like we've already gone through 14 days already. <laughs> I agree with that 110%. <laughs> Let's talk about news, and you are actually participating in the news this week. I am participating in the news, and it's uh, it'll be a quick thing, but in case you've been living under a rock and haven't been following any of the board game Facebook or Twitter groups, uh, Hero Quest has been reprinted. It's been out of print since like the '80s, and everybody was super pumped. There was this crazy, like, uh, mysterious announcement that popped up that said Hero Quest, and it gave a countdown, and then. It was released, and basically Hasbro is doing a straight reprint of the 80s game with no rules changes. And it costs $100, and it's like $200 a ship to Canada. So uh, a lot of people were not happy about that. They got their hopes up, and Hasbro, in true Hasbro fashion, slapped them around. So yeah, Hero Quest, Hero Quest reprint, that's kind of some big news that happened this week. Um, I didn't know anything about this until you mentioned putting it on the outline. <laughs> So apparently I'm not paying attention to the board game groups, which I see them, I feel like, but I didn't see anything about this. I know nothing about HeroQuest, so. Yeah, it's a jank roll and move dungeon crawl from like the 80s. Like everybody says it's a terrible game, even people who like it, but they hang on to it because of like the nostalgia, like they played it when they were a kid or whatever. So that's why when they thought it was getting a reprint, they thought it was going to be like a restorations game reprint where they tweak the rules and make it a good game. Right. But doesn't appear that's happening. Well, I'm sh still, I think there's people that'll probably be into it that love nostalgia. Like, oh, yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't feel like Fireball Island really changed that much from the original. So, yeah, I mean, it's still basically a roll and move, <laughs> essentially. Right. Just more entertaining, I think. <laughs> True. Um, so, in Kickstarter news, I want to talk about a game that I think looks really cool. And I feel like as autumn is now approaching, it's. And my one of my favorite holidays, Halloween, is coming soon. And I mean, we still got another month, but I'm super excited already. And that is Monsters on Board. 
Um, and Monsters on Board is like this dice drafting game, but it's so cute. Like it's a totally different theme. You as the player are monsters and you're trying to scare um, people in like a nearby village so that um, you can like feast on their fear and you can use their fear then to um, summon the Spider King who has the head of a pumpkin or whatever. I don't think they could use Pumpkin King because I think Nightmare Before Christmas has that uh, kind of trademarked. But like the dice are all like unique to this game and they move around in these like what look like little cars, like these little old fashioned buggies that look awesome, like something Lurch would drive. Um, and you're like it looks like there's multiple things happening like you're balancing putting dice on your board in certain ways to get points you're also trying to like please the spider king you're trying to um like get the fear bring the spider king snacks like there's lots of different things going on and i think it looks really cool so there's four days left in that i don't know that i did it justice it's 54 dollars, but there is a lot involved in the game so I, it's worth taking a look and that's monsters on board yeah, I I don't know much about this other than what you said right here, but I like the art on the box. It looks cool. I thought you were interested in this. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested from what I've seen of it, and I think the company that does it has done some other games that I'm interested in. But outside of that, I haven't done any, like, surefire research. So just, like, interested, like, these people were interested in HeroQuest. So, yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, it's... um. Final Frontier games. Yeah, they do like uh, Robin Hood and um, uh, shoot, what's that other one I played with Chris? Uh, something about a merchant or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I played like th- I played three of their games, but I can't remember now. They're they're based out of Macedonia, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so the artwork looks really cool. Um, I love monster themes. That's like one of my favorite things, which is weird. I don't know why, because I don't watch any scary movies or monster movies or anything, but um, it's really cu- It's just cute, and you're trying to throw a monster mash, and so you need spook juice, which is how you get from getting pe- like human humans scared. So it looks pretty cool. Monsters on board, four days and 54 bucks. Um, the next one that I looked at is totally different, totally out of... I would say kind of our wheelhouse, except for the fact that it looks absolutely beautiful. And that is Philosophia Floating World. And I couldn't find a ton about, like, I didn't sit and watch through the whole video playthroughs of this game, which I probably should have to get a better idea of how it actually plays. But it genuinely is... um, just so intriguing on its own by just looking at the beautiful artwork. It's set in feudal Japan. It is, um, it says that you're deck building, like there's some simultaneous deck building. And then it's also, but like a sandbox world. So you're building a deck and then you're also kind of getting points in whatever way possible. And so that's why it's sandboxy. Um, It looks really pretty. You get these miniatures that come with it for each of the different characters, a geisha and um, a ronin and uh, who like just a ton of really interesting feudal Japanese characters that are so it's so pretty. I mean, I don't know if I like sandbox games because I haven't played any. But I would definitely give this one a try because it's 
super gorgeous. Um, and it can play one to six players. And I just think, oh my gosh, it's so pretty not to kind of give it at least a look. Um, so that is Philosophy of Floating World. There's five days left in the Kickstarter and it's 89 bucks. But I think that's Whoa. because there's so, I mean, it's because you've got all these characters in it that you have like they're 12 intricate miniatures you have 200 cards um i think that's why you've got a double-sided game board you've got six double-sided player boards there there is quite a bit of stuff you can be a ronin a sumo wrestler a samurai there's pagoda minis there's quite a bit in there. So if you're interested in that sandbox game, Deck Builder, which I love, ah, Feudal Japan, so many things going for this. Check that out on Kickstarter. I like the theme and then it's a deck builder. I don't know about the sandbox thing, but I would play this. Not for $89, but I would give it a play. It's by Kogito Ergo Meeple. His last name's Meeple? No, it's that's the name of like the company, I think. Oh, uh, I was like, wow, well, that's Kogito Ergo Meeple. Um, <laughs> it was founded by two teachers from the UK. Cool. Yeah. And then the last one I want to talk about is another game that I think the theme is so cool. That's a dreamy true to it. But the name is weird. And it's called Spycrit. So like secret, but with spy at the beginning. Circumvention. And this is a game where you are a spy, which I love that theme. I think that theme is way underused. Um, you're a spy and you're trying to collect your like a, some particular spy gadgets. You need some money because you got to flee the country, but you can't get out of the country without getting the briefcase. Now, the briefcase, I don't know what's in the briefcase, but the briefcase is your goal. So it essentially is like a roll and move because you are rolling and moving around this board. But there's so many different paths. And so you have to decide, okay, each of these different spots either going to give me money or give me items. Some of the cards that you're going to flip over on certain spots, you're actually going to have to fight like assassins that are coming after you and use some of the gadgets and tools that you have to fight them off. Um, if you, there are some, there's a certain deck that actually gives you the briefcase and so then you're going to try to get out of there. You want to move out of there. Um, you can land on the same spot as their player. And if they have the briefcase, you can take it from them. So, yes, it seems like it's a very simple game, but it sounds like there's a lot of different stuff going on. You're balancing your cards and your secret goals. And, of course, I, I just love a good spy mission. And so that's Spy Crit Circumvention. There are nine days left on that, and it is $39. Yeah, this one seems cool because I like the theme. I don't care about the roll and move thing, but the theme does seem interesting and I want to try this one. Yeah, I think it's more than just, but it's not like, I don't know, like a Candyland or Monopoly roll and move because there's multiple ways to go and you're like this British secret agent and there's a lot of like, I don't know, like I think all the little people are cool. You pick a spy and you pick like a cool little shaped meeple and your spy comes with certain gear and... um I don't know. It's just, it seems like it looks really fun. And it's not just like a, oh, I've got to roll and move here. Okay. But you have different paths to choose and the, the board looks kind of crazy all over the place and you're trying to get out of, there's different countries on it. So yeah, it yeah. should be fun. That's cool. All right. And that's, I've got more Kickstarters obviously all the time happening, but I have to save some for next week. 
All right, well, let's talk about some of those games we played when we were riding out the hurricane or the tornado that was right next to our house. Or just sitting in the woods <laughs> on the side of a mountain. Yeah, mostly that. Uh, so the first game we want to talk about is a game that we recently got. We got a Kickstarter version sent to us, and it is called Obsession, and it's from Kayenta Games. And essentially, this is Downton Abbey, the board game. And it's I'm obsessed that, with it. Yeah, it's that theme. I can beat Katie every single time because she Shut gets up. distracted by the flavor text and pretending that she's Mr. Bates or Anna or whatever. So uh, if you don't know what this game is, it's kind I don't know, it's kind of a worker placement game, sort of, but you're also kind of managing your servants because they have to run these events, which are basically going to be little tiles that you have like activities or setting up a room in your, your estate. And then you're also using your servants to go help out the gentry, which are the cards that you're going to be playing to go along with these tiles. So you're trying to maximize the ways you can use your servants to try to score the most points. You're also trying to court the Fairchild family so you can have the best type of theme, which is basically one of the colors of tiles. Whoever has the most points in that category at the end of so many rounds will get to win the favor of the Fairchilds. So, um, Katie, what did you think of this one? Um, I'm obsessed with this game. And the fact that I've lost at it twice and still am obsessed with it shows how great. Actually, I've lost it three times. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget that third, third <laughs> oh my time. my gosh. By one point, though, I'm getting better. And I'm obsessed with, because there's so much. Like, we only, we played I've, we played the, the base game twice, which is still, which is really fun. And I would play it again. And then we played with the expansion upstairs, downstairs, which adds some other cool servants to work with. The cook and the hall boy, the useful man. And that gives you, like, this whole other dimension of, okay, not only am I setting up these activities for my people to do and seeing who should be invited to those, but then also, like, am I using the appropriate servants? And who do I have available? And how can I maximize this turn? And there's just so many, like, cool ways to go about it. But I do get lost in the flavor text because I'm like, ooh, let's have afternoon tea. And I'm like, ooh, what does this lady do? Oh, yeah. Oh, she's a gossip. I don't want her to come... And then in like the last game we played, I got one of, they have a few promo cards and Sherlock Holmes um, was in it and I love him. And he like chases away all the unsavory people from your hand. Like it was so, it's so fun. And I think, I think for me, that's part of the fun is because I love that kind of a theme. Like I love that it is really immersive and I know that the creator of the game really worked hard to make the theme really shine through. And I just, the way that it all works with the flavor text works um, with what servants help out different people, what servants are needed, um, how influence goes up and down. Oh, it, it is. It's like being in the Regency era. And I just want to, I just want to find Mr. Darcy and make, make beautiful romances happen. Like it's so great. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually surprised there's not a Mr. Darcy character in there. There should be. I know. I feel isn't that like public domain now? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Pride and Prejudice is. Yeah, because you, I mean, you got Sherlock Holmes. You could have Mr. Darcy in there. That would be cool. Yeah, I I really like this game a lot. Um, we played it three times. Every time I play it, I like it a little more. That upstairs downstairs um, addition with just the extra servants that do crazy powerful things is amazing. But it makes turns go a little bit longer because you have more stuff to think about. And I think the game's maybe a little bit on the long side as it is because it plays in about two hours with two people, which is pretty long. But 
it's still good. So this game is definitely one that's probably going to keep getting higher up on my list the more we play it. Yeah, and I think the more we play it, I think my awe with the flavor text will wear off for sure. Um, And maybe I'll play better. But also I think it's the more you play it, the easier you are to say, okay, here's the kind of strategy that I want to follow. And so you take your turns a little bit quicker because you're like, okay, here's the activity that's going to happen. Here's who I'm going to invite. Or, oh, I know I need to get more people invited to my estate. So I need to play these people. And so you kind of get those things um, like down a little bit more. And then I think that will make the time go by a little bit quicker. Right. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, great game, though. We'll have a video on our YouTube channel at some point that I think Katie's going to do at least some of it. Oh, yeah. I really kind of want to because I, I I obviously love this video. I mean, you all saw how pumped I was not just the unboxing. So um, I think I do. I, I will try to be part of the review. I'm trying to be better about that, guys. All right. So let's talk about another game that, uh, man, I, this kind of saddens me a little bit, but the Another game we played is the follow-up to Coimbra, and it's called Alma Mater. And man, after one play, this was kind of disappointing. Yeah. So this is a game, it's a, a worker placement game where you're trying to, I don't know, recruit students to come to university. You're trying to recruit high, you know, high reputation professors to come to your university to basically make your university the most prestigious university that it can be. Can I say university any more times? Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so you're doing this through just worker placement. You're trying to get these different colored books, which are knowledge. You're going to be buying them from other players. Um, you're going to be buying your own knowledge. You have to spend knowledge to recruit students and professors. You're also trying to climb up on a research track because you are. And then you're trying to hit some milestones, which are basically going to be like, you know, I've recruited six professors or... I've recruited four students of this type. When you do that, you get a power, an additional power throughout the game. So um, it looks like Coimbra. It feels like Coimbra a little bit, but in my opinion, after one play, it's far inferior. So what did you think about this one? I mean, if we're comparing it to Coimbra, yeah, totally. Not even close. And Coimbra, I think, is last year was my number two game of all time because it's really, really good. Or was it number one? No, it's number. I don't remember. It was up there. I mean, it's my number one. So yeah, I mean, either way, one or two, it's yeah, it's still solid. It was really good. Um, and I wanted a lot from Alma Mater, and I feel like there's a lot of potential there. But gosh, I don't know. Like, it just there's one thing for a game to be difficult, and I get that. But this one makes it like nearly impossible for you to be successful in any kind of way. Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, yeah, I, I think the thing that makes it hard is no space is really blocked off. So it's one of those those worker placement games where if I go there with a person, you can go there with two people. So you can always go to the space, but you have to spend more workers than the last person that was there. So you only have four workers. So if I want to go to this place to buy books, you're already there. Now I have to spend two of my four workers, half my round, going there to buy books. And then I got to hope you don't go where I want to go next because then I'll spend the rest of my round going to that spot. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really tight, almost too tight for my liking. Right. And then like I I need to you need to have books. You need to have other people's books. So you have to go to that spot. 
but then I also want you to buy my book so I get some money and I get some points. And so then if I get what I need to get, I could potentially keep you from doing what I need you to do too, which makes it, which is like really frustrating. Um, I just think maybe if there's another way to generate books or if they gave you maybe like every round there was an income for books, that might be helpful. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike the game. Like I thought there was really fun elements to it. I like whooped you real bad at it. So obviously I feel pretty good about that, but it, it was almost too tight, but maybe I'm just not good enough at, to play it. I don't know. Yeah. And again, we played it at two. So when you play it with two, there's like this, like autumn, a third player. Cause you have to be able to have three colors of books. And with two players, you're only going to have two colors of books. So you need to have, you know, that third player in there to get those additional books. And that guy comes in and blocks off like two or three spots. So already makes it difficult, right? Getting started, which is kind of rough and I didn't love it. But so maybe with more players, it would feel different. I I don't know. Yeah, I would definitely try it a couple other player counts just to see if that was the problem. Because I feel like we felt like Gugong was like, oh, not good at two. And then we played at three and we're like, oh, this game is really good. So maybe we yes. just, we, we def- I'm definitely willing to give it another go. Oh, yeah, I'll play it again because I was super pumped. Like we pre-ordered it the day it was able for uh, for pre-order. So like I'm super pumped about it and I was kind of disheartened a little bit when we played it. So Yeah, me too. Um, the last game that we played that was new i mean we played some other games i really like this game actually and it's called camp pine top from talon strikes games and it was a surprise i didn't know we were getting it and showed up and i'm like look at how cute this little game is and i actually saw um james hudson post a picture of it on a board game group saying oh look i like something about kickstarter fulfillments or something and i'm like hey i got the game too and um it was a really cute game so it's Camp Pine Top is basically where you're like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout and you have to earn your patches and then you move up the different levels of Scout. I think you start as a um, possum as a possum and you want to get to be a Badger Scout. Yes. So there's there's four different Scout levels. And so you have to complete certain amounts of badges to move up. Um, and so you do that by moving your little campers around and playing cards. So it's got that idea of hand management it, it almost like a ticket to ride style where you're trying to fulfill con- I, I guess contract fulfillment for what each badge needs if it needs you know boating expertise or i don't i don't know what you call the different card elements um but you're using those there's some wild ones and you're playing them and then as you earn badges you also get um special powers that kind of change give you extra abilities and make the game a little bit easier, kind of soup up your turns, which I thought was really cool. Um, so I thought this game was really cute. I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it too because, again, I win. But um, Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, it, the thing I like best about this is when you're moving, what patch or badge, whatever you call it, you move over onto the new tile is the badge that you're allowed to acquire by turning in cards. So... There's more to movement than just moving around. You're actually trying to see which badge is available that you want to pick up. Do you need the circle? Do you need the square? Do you need the diamond? And then you're trying to go in that route to turn in the appropriate color cards to get that badge. It's it's, it's a really cool game. It plays in, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. It's real fast. It's cute. And I like it. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about it is the way you when you, you're like the first to get to 
the badger level scout and i i again prefer points based but they at least yeah. give you different ways of getting to that particular scout level so i do like that yeah it is unfulfilling like when we were playing i was like oh and the game's over because i just hit uh badger <laughs> it's just unfulfilling because you, you know it could be five rounds it could be eight rounds you never know and then you know game over so yeah I, I don't particularly love it, but I can usually win those a little better than points. Okay. And those are the games you played. All right. So our feature today, I don't, I don't want to say that we run out of features, but sometimes it's like, have we already talked about this? Do we talk about this too much? I don't know. But now that we're starting to even move. Like I'm already thinking about the holiday season. I was just going over my syllabus with some of my students um, that I teach on a 10 week quarterly basis. And I'm like, yeah, at the end of this quarter, it's Thanksgiving. And I was like, wow, 10 weeks till Thanksgiving, like it's coming. So holiday season rolls around. You're either A, getting gifts or you're B, saying, what can I take to hang out with my family and play games. And generally what you pull out is a mass market game. And for me, I define mass market games as games that you could buy at the target um, that don't require a lot of gamerly knowledge um, that are attractive to non gamers that have pretty easy to teach rules. They keep everybody engaged. They tend to be a little bit lighter on the strategy um, and so these are our favorite of the mass market games. All right. So I didn't adhere to all of those rules. I mostly just picked <laughs> stuff not. that I could buy, not just at Gen Con Origins or like a game store. So if you could find it at Target, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, um, I don't know, any other store like that, then it's on my list. Because you said like not heavy strategy and one of mine might be towing that line so i just wanted to say that i didn't follow those same rules exactly all right so the first one that i picked is um a dice version of a card game and it is called sushi roll and this is available i think target we got ours at barnes and noble so it's definitely fits my criteria for this category and it would probably fit katie's criteria as well because it's an easy to teach game so essentially what this is this is um Sushi Go, which is a drafting game, but instead of having cards, you're having dice. So everybody's going to have some dice. You're going to roll them. You're going to have your little die on your little conveyor belt because I guess in some sushi places, they move sushi on conveyor belts. And um, you're going to draft a die. Then your conveyor belt's going to pass to the next player. So unlike Sushi Go, you can always see everything that's out there while the dice are moving around. So you have perfect information so you can kind of plan your moves a little better. But it still plays the same. The dice still have the cute little sushi figures on them. And it's still the same amount of time. Easy to play, easy to teach. So first one I picked is Sushi Roll. I love Sushi Roll. I love Sushi Go because obviously they're Japanese themed. And I love sushi and it's adorable. Uh, And yeah, we've taught this. Like I kind of make the standard. um, My brother-in-law, my sister, and my sister's sister-in-law. Like if they play it with us and we've taught it to them and they like it and pick up on it pretty easy and think about it for themselves, then I know it's a pretty good game for that entry level. I picked one that's maybe a little bit more complicated, actually, now that I look at this. Um, But the theme is what's so accessible. And that is Villainous. 
Now, we only have the first iteration of Villainous, even though I've been chomping at the bit to get the other ones. I just don't know why we haven't. And I feel like you are the reason why, Jason. Um, <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> because I love I I love the villains, man. I don't know if it's just my whole preoccupation with the bad boy but i mean i have always loved maleficent she is awesome and so in she's in the original and i love playing her character but you've got different villains that have different goals you have your own deck of villain like abilities that you're playing out of then you also have a hero deck other people try to use then to play on you and your villain cards in order to try and make your goal of winning harder so it's asymmetrical um which is kind of hard i think for newer players um but there are certain um like characters that I think are easier that once you've seen, if you as a seasoned gamer can look at it and say, okay, this is a much more straightforward character with, this is what the goal is. Like Maleficent is you have to get um, three. I honestly don't remember her goal for the life of me. Curses or something like that. Yeah. You have to get three curses played or something out there. Three curse locations or something out, out on your board. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. There are some that are a little more like uh, Prince John. You have to get like 20 gold or something. So that makes it a little bit easier. And since it's not like simultaneous play, you as like a more experienced gamer can help other people play. But people really get into this because they love Disney and they love to see their favorite characters and play as their favorite characters. Um, and there's like these awesome chunky pieces that you move around on your own board for your character that I am obsessed with. Um and the art is good. It's cool. There's pictures from the movies. So it's really nostalgic. Um, so I think it that's why it appeals to a lot of people. So my first one is Villainous. Yeah, I like this game. I just, it doesn't, pl- I, I mean, we have never played it at two, but I don't think it would play well at two. And I always feel like it plays a little too long. Other than that, I like it. Well, I think we've played it with people like for the first time. We've never had like replay repeat players like someone who's like oh yeah i know how to play this and we divvy up the characters like i feel like that's where it would shine because i would like to play this with actual gamers yeah i guess that's probably true that's probably true we'll need to try it again yay all right so the next one that i picked is a two-player only game and it is from mattel actually which is kind of weird and it is available at target for sure i don't know where else but i think you can find it most places and it's called spirits of the wild so uh, we've talked about this game before. It's a little two-player game where you're trying to collect these different colored stones to make like uh, constellation shapes, I believe. I'm pretty sure. And you're going to do that by every, each player had the same like six cards and you're going to flip a card to take an action. Like maybe you'll take two stones from the bag and then you'll draw one from the bowl. Or you will steal one from somebody else or you'll take the little fox token and block off a section of the other player's, player's board so they have to not focus on that section because they might be close to winning or something. It's a quick game. It's, um, I mean, I kind of like the way it looks. It's just a simple board with some cool little like tokens that you're putting on doing some set collection with colors and I like it. So that's spirits of the wild from Mattel and it's easy to teach. And the theme is kind of accessible because it's not like, you know, goblins or demons. It's constellations. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I, I only play this once. So I feel like I don't really remember it. Um, but I know we've talked to several people, and it seemed easy for everybody to pick up. So, yeah. 
Good choice. My next one is completely in the opposite direction of my first one. And it's almost more of a party game. And I love it. And Jason hates it. And that game is Monikers. To be fair, I've never played it. So I hate it just in principle. So now you can go ahead. So Monikers is, and there's several different versions of it, but, and you could, I've had people say, oh yeah, we play that with just pieces of paper where it's um, in the box. There's just cards of people and they're all types of people from red shirt guy in Star Trek to um, Marie Antoinette to Bill Gates to um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all over the place, pop culture kind of references, historical references, all of that. And you get into teams. Everyone picks, you get a hand of 10 cards. You pick five of them to make up a deck. And then you go back and forth over a course of three rounds to get the people on your team to guess the names on the cards. The first round, you say whatever you want to get them to guess. The second round, you can only say one word. And the last round, you do charades. Um, I played this with some ladies at my church it, they were hilarious, hilarious at it. And and all different ages, too. And that's what I think is great about it. Now, for some younger players, it might be difficult because they don't know who people are. But since you're playing on teams, other people that know can, can pick up that slack for them if you mix up the teams. And then once you've kind of seen the you see the same cards in each of the three rounds. So you can kind of remember, oh yeah, we associated that person with this. I need to remember that for later. Um, it's fun and funny and lighthearted and I I really love it. So that's monikers. Yeah, I have nothing to say. So um, I'll just go ahead and move on to mine. <laughs> You're a turd. Uh, okay, so the last one I want to talk about is probably the heaviest one that I'll talk about. And it's available at Target for sure. I don't even know if it's available anywhere else, actually. So, But it will be. But I think it just might be Target for right now. And it is Pan Am. And it's from Prospero Hall and Funko. And this is essentially like Ticket to Ride amped up a little bit. So you're trying to collect different types of cards that give you cities to build different airplane routes from one city to another um, to get points. You're also going to be working to build some airports in a city because then you can use that city always as a connection to a route and you never have to play a card. So um, the goal of the game is to have the most stock in Pan Am by the end of, I think, seven rounds or something. And then whoever has the most stock is the winner. So there's a stock aspect to it, but really the main focus is building routes to get points to earn income so you can ultimately at the end of the round buy some stock. It's a cool game. It has really neat production. Like the little airplanes are really cool. Uh, The board is laid out really nicely. It's actually a pretty heavy game for a Prospero Hall game because most of their games are fairly simple, like, you know, family games or, you know, games you can play with non-gamers. But this one is a little bit above that, and I really like it. So that's Pan Am. I didn't play this. This reminds me of Airlines Europe. Yeah, it does a little bit. Which is okay. So, I mean, I'd probably play it, but I don't need to own it. It's better It's better than Airlines Europe, in my opinion. But it has a similar type of feel. Um, the last one that I want to talk about is probably the best mass market game I maybe have ever played. That's because it's so chill. It's so happy. It's so uplifting. And that is Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. This game, I went into it with 
probably it's probably why it's so good i went to it with, with low low expectations because i'm like oh they took an ip and while i do love bob ross and his afro and his paintings it's gonna be dumb but i was so pleasantly surprised it is laid back it is fairly simple i've taught this to tons of people they all love it because it's bob ross you're playing on with the paintings it's very casual but it's still not um not like a boring roll and move flip and move you are making decisions you are making choices um it's it's just a cool game it's so good i love it yeah i mean this is one of those games you can definitely play with anybody too because it's essentially you know collect the sets of colors turning those sets into paint a painting and occasionally you know bob will get to the end of the painting before you can do anything because sometimes he's not as chill as all as other times but yeah, everybody loves Bob Ross. This is a game that you can bust out and say, hey, it's Bob Ross. Let's play it. And everybody's like, hey, we love Bob Ross. So, yeah, this is a really good pick. I like this game a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I have a couple honorable mentions. I really like mass market games because I've been playing them most of my life. I grew up playing tons of games and I tortured my sister with them because I always wanted to, I always beat her really badly. Um, one of the games I beat her badly at is Clue, and I still love Clue in all of its various forms. Um, I love Trivial Pursuit. Like, oh my gosh, my dad and I would just play Trivial Pursuit and totally, like, it would be neck and neck. We just hassle each other. I love trivia. I watch Jeopardy all the yeah, time. Those games were so fun. Oh my gosh, shut up. Just because you had one pie piece and you guys had like nine. It's not our fault you were terrible. Play better. I don't tell you. But it it was I love that. Um just one. We've talked about that a lot, but that is like just one. One killer mass market game that I would I would encourage everyone to buy for the holidays because you can get anybody. I even my grandma even played it with me and did not complain about it once and did not true. I I mean I that's how that that is a true. true test. Code yeah, that is, that is true. <laughs> Codenames, obviously, everywhere. Also, really fun and um, easy to pick up on. Trapper Keeper, I really liked that nostalgia feel for us 80s and 90s kids. Um, and it, it was surprisingly a fun little game with keeping notes and your um, permission slips. That was fun. True Colors, I've always loved. Jason's probably most watched video <laughs> review was True Colors. Yeah, it's crazy. He had the new version. People love that thing. I took it on like a girls weekend with some of my friends and they loved it. We had such a good time. Cracked it up. Found out all kinds of information about my friends. It was great. And then, um, gosh, when Jason and I were dating, we used to play, play catchphrase with his family a lot. And I've always loved any kind of word games. And William that, Shatner. That includes catchphrase. I don't. Did you? Is that the one where you just guess out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah so I passed annoying. it, and I said William Shatner, and it just happened to be the word. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's classic. Yeah. So those are some of my honorable mentions. There are plenty of others because these games are so popular um, because it's a way to to kind of get people into gaming so what are your favorite mass market games because i am sure there's some gems out there and as we're coming into the holiday season i want to know what to look for so tell us on facebook join the riveted that facebook group is off the chain nice in the kids vernacular fire it is fire our group is fire no you're just making yourself sound old stop i'm not i'm using it right 
I'm not like Terry Bradshaw on the Bradshaw Bunch. <laughs> woke saying, MF. Who's saying he's walk MF instead of woke AF. <laughs> um, it is oh, a great man. group. Everyone is so like positive and nice and encouraging. And we stick to the games, man. We stick to the games. There, um, there's also our Twitter, there's our Instagram, and of course, not to be trifled with, our YouTube channel. So check out Jason's a ton of reviews on there. I've got a couple unboxings, and I'm hoping to try to get myself into some more videos. So tell us about your favorite mass market games. I think that's, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't really like a lot of mass market games, but we definitely would love to see what you guys like. Maybe you'll tell me one that I can go play, and it'll be my new favorite game of all time. I know. I feel like there's some hidden gems out there that maybe we just don't know about. It's true. True. All right, everybody. I hope you're enjoying your fall. And I think that's all that we've got. That's all I've got, certainly. Yep, same. All right. Well, I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. <laughs>